have coffee. We have some energy. That is great. Well, I'm going to start uh, today by showing you a picture. Uh, this is a picture of a mountain. So I did this exercise a long time ago, and this was this was very fascinating. It's a, it's a personality thing. So you, you look at this picture, and you don't have to. We had like little journals that we had got out, but I want you to just in your head. What are, what do you see? Just write in a, in a list. What do you see? What do you see in here? Give you a minute to give you two seconds to do that. What do you what do you see in this picture? For some, they just see mountains, trees, water, right? For some in in the room, actually, they they see vacation, something special, some some place to where that someone even said like I could imagine I'm writing a book and I can imagine that this is a scenario where a battle would happen, or I see a great place to to meditate. And the purpose of this, of that exercise, when you see a picture like this, when you see a, when you see a picture, what do you see? Do you see just the, wha- what it is or the potential of that picture? Do you see what could be or do you see what is? Now, I, this is not a, a, a time where we make fun of those of us. My, my wife is, is one of these people. I'm very imaginative. My wife was the person who, she made like a list of like 35 things, very specific, of just what was in the picture. And that's great. We need, we need detail-oriented people. But when we think about the, a picture, what do we see that is potential? And we're, we're using this word that this morning called vision. We're talking about vision. When you think of the picture of your life, what is, pot- what is the potential of that picture? Is it just reality, or is there something grander, something bigger in the picture of your life, so- something bigger that you can give yourself to, some, some way that you can beautify it, make it seem more beautiful, That's when we talk about when we say vision. I've heard this word tossed around a lot, vision statements, making a vision statement for your life. When you see your life, what do you most want to see? What is the potential that you want to to come about? The first time, this is kind of funny, the first time I was ever asked to think about a vision statement, I was a ditch digger at a plumbing company. I was 17 years old, and apparently me and my bros were not digging up to snuff. And so our boss, (coughs) he... I don't know if he saw, like, too many movies, and he just didn't know what 17-year-old boys were like, but he sat us down. We had a very serious conversation, and he he said, okay, I want you all to get out a piece of paper, and I want you to write down a vision for yourself of where you want to be in in three months. We only had the one job. You can only add so many adjectives behind dig. Uh, Dig faster, dig harder, dig smarter. I don't know. Like, I'm just going to dig, I guess. He thought, he he really thought that was going to, like, pep us out. It didn't work. But uh, I've been making vision statements. I've had to for my work. Maybe you've, you've done this, where you where you put in front of yourself, this is where I, this is what I want to see for my life. This is the vision of my life, the potential that I want to see come about. Last week we introduced a verse, uh, uh, this idea of following Jesus in a new life from Matthew four nineteen. Jesus walks up to these two fishermen and he says, "Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come follow me." And we talked about following. Jesus is, is this invitation, it's, it's not the, the idea of being his, uh, his disciples, an invitation of love, not a duty of burden. We get to follow him closely, be nearer to him than you could possibly imagine, learn from him. We talked about how this Christian life is not really a classroom. God isn't, God isn't a professor who's going to test you at the end of every week to see how holy you are, how many good answers you got. But what God has invited us into is a, a journey of relationship in which maturity happens over time as we get closer and closer to the Father. And that's what he invited them into. 
So follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So last week was following to a new life. And now we're going to look into the second part of that verse. And I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is planting a vision into fishermen, right? This is specific to their trade. That he, that he will make them into fishers of men. I want you to imagine for a second what that would have been like for those two fishermen to hear this rabbi say that to them. This significant person say that to them. Wow, you're going to do something with my life. Something broader and grander than I could ever have possibly thought. How is God going to make this work in my life? That's what we're going to look at today, is following Jesus into this broader vision. Following him into a broader vision for our lives than we thought possible. So let me pray, and then uh, we're actually, so we're going to go to the, the, the corresponding passage, not Matthew 4, but we're going to go to Math, or Luke 5, and we're going to go through this passage where we're going to see um, where we're going to learn more about this invitation to make fishers of men, this invitation to have a broader vision for our lives. God, thank you for being here. Thank you for your words. Thank you for your encouragement um, that you will be with us as we, as we broaden our vision, that this is not just something that we have to do to prove something to you, but that we can follow you closely as you broaden our vision. Um, yeah, would you be glorified in your name? Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's get started. Matthew, or sorry, Luke 5, 1 through 3. Uh, this is, th- uh, the heading is, Jesus calls the first disciples. I like when the Bible heads it something that you're like, oh, who was the first? Well, thank you, Bible. So here it is. This is he's calling his first disciples. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from, from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So let, let's pause for a second, and, and there's some pretty significant and, and kind of a funny thing that Jesus does here. Let's, let's pause on the story. So Jesus, he, he is already preaching to crowds, and, and the crowds are pressing in on him. I find this really interesting. I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, w- at, at my, a couple of my other campuses, we would have a guy uh, who did, like, sidewalk preaching, and uh, he was uh, very smart, but, v- but very loud and kind of mean. And the crowd— they, they started, you, I don't know if you've ever seen this, they start to press in, right? There, there's, this, there's this feeling of when, when, they, when they hear it, they, w- they get closer and closer. Well, Jesus wasn't mean, but he was saying some pretty amazing things, right? He's, he hasn't even called his first disciples yet, but he's already got crowds following him. And he never got a break, right? So he's, the, the crowds are pressing in on him so much that he had to back up to a beach. Could you imagine? Like, you're now cornered. There's nowhere to go. I guess I have to preach on this beach. And he sees these boats, and I love this detail. No one was in the boats. They're out of their boats. And uh, so a little fisherman knowledge for you. They were out of their boats because what fishermen did is they, they actually, they fished overnight. So this is a- in the morning. The fishermen fished overnight. And when it says they were cleaning their nets, it was, it was a painstaking way to end your work day. They have these nets, and, and the lakes were disgusting. And so they're picking out each individual thing from these large nets to make sure they catch more fish. So they're, they're clocking out. They're done. And Jesus, uh, on his own volition, just walks into one of their boats. Can you imagine, like, imagine like you're a, you're a FedEx driver, and you're done for the day, and you're walking out, and Jesus just like, oh, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my truck now. Thanks. Uh, thanks for your, for, your, for your help, right? And thanks for offering. Jesus hops into this boat without their permission. And then he says to them, why don't you push this out for a little while? 
if you're Simon and, and the red hand tree, you're like, we are done. Like, like my day is over. I'm done with the boat. I want to go home, right? I want to spend time. But Jesus has no problem saying, yeah, let's, let's put out from the little, uh, a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught people from the boat. He's looking for a, a better pulpit is, is what someone once said. But he, he starts this journey, and, and I want to remind us of a point that we talked about last week. The invitation to follow him is personal. It was personal. He knew, so as we go through the story, it's going to become pretty obvious that Jesus this day did not set out to preach to crowds. He set out to call four men. This day was not just about the crowds. This was about Simon and Andrew. And he knew exactly what, in what situation they were in, right? He knew that they were done with their boats. He knew that they were exhausted. And, and, and uh, we'll see how. But this invitation was personal. He knew them. He was setting out to talk to them, and he knew them and their situation. Exactly. He picked Simon and Peter's boat. I'm sure there was other fishermen around. He picked Simon, sorry, Simon and Andrew's boat. He knew them in situation. And there's a sub-point I want to I, I wanna offer here, is that the invitation to follow is rarely convenient. It's rarely convenient. The invitation to follow is rarely convenient. It's not something that we talk about, but Jesus doesn't always promise a really easy process to be his disciples. Look at what Jesus himself went through. He didn't have an easy time on this journey. He could have. And he was not afraid to ask Simon and Andrew to do this. I always find this fascinating. I think one of the things that, that um, yeah, it, it, that I am so encouraged by this, my Myers-Briggs and my Enneagram and all that nonsense, all of it tells me that I am a pretty commanding person. Like when, when, when it lists like the people who are like me in history, it's like Napoleon Bonaparte and uh, like, like, like dictators. And so, you, you know, when you read that, you're like, so am I just like an evil person, <laughs> right? Like, like, do I just go around bossing people? But apparently there's a way in which you do it in which actually encourages and brings life and actually transforms people. He wasn't afraid to ask people to do hard things. That's fascinating to me. And that what, a, what an interesting facet, because I, I don't think we have a lot of good examples of that in human beings. I think we, some of us have bosses or professors who, when they ask us to do hard things, they're not really... They don't have our best interests at heart, right? They're not doing it for us. They're not, they're not really maybe not even doing it for the, the greater good. They're doing it for the bottom line. But Jesus was willing to, to ask something uncomfortable of Simon and Peter by just hopping in their boat. <laughs> the invitation was personal. He knew them, and he knew what he was asking of them. Secondly, so let's, let's keep going. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, so he, he preached for a while, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the net. So your, your day is done, right? You're, you're already inconvenienced. And someone gives a sermon. A sermon probably a lot longer than I'm about to give. And after that person is done, you're probably thinking, okay, can we just go back to the city? Like, can I, can I just go home? And Jesus says to them, Simon, take your net and put it out into the deep. That, that actually means that they were going further into the land. We're actually going to do a little more work. And all that time you just spent cleaning out your nets, I actually want you to get them dirty again. In broad daylight. They're like, this is not how this works. Why would you do this? And, and I love uh, that they include, th there wasn't punctuation in, in, uh, in how scripture was written in its original language, but they decided to put an exclamation point. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. 
right? You can feel Simon's frustration. And almost, I, I, I don't, you know, I don't know the tone. I don't know exactly, but you can almost feel like the, but at your word, I, yeah, I'll let down the nets, right? <laughs> like you can feel the resignation here. What I, what's so fascinating about this, that this, in this moment, is that Jesus is choosing to continue to be with them. He's still with them. And he says, we're, we're going we're to fish together. Last week we talked about the invitation was also presence. Jesus didn't, didn't criticize their, their fishing. He didn't say, okay, I'm going to go to shore, and then you guys try to fish again, so it's going to be a miracle. He sat there on the boat with them. He stayed with them. He's going to stick with them. Let's keep going. We're getting to the vision part. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. They had, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Can you imagine what that was like? Fishermen lived a, a hard, they still live a hard existence where it's day to day. And to get a catch like this where your nets are breaking, that's, that, that is a business expense you might be okay with. I'm okay with getting new nets tomorrow because we have so much fish right now. And then they signaled over to their partners. I love this. Their partners, spoilers, are James and John. We'll get to that in a second. Signal their partners. But they're, they're catching so much fish and the boat is filling down, or, or, and, and the boat is sinking down. And when Simon Peter saw it, I love this, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. When we think about broadening our vision, when we think about this idea of following Jesus so that he will make us fishers of men, so that he will, he will change our lives, the invitation begins and ends with worship. It begins and ends with worship. So the, the Navigators, the group I worked for for 11 years, they, they really, th they've made their, their craft making disciples, which uh, it, it means the ability to invest in someone, and then that person invests in someone else, and someone else, and someone else. It's this beautiful picture that the, 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 the I'm not the last link. And this beautiful picture we're going to see in, in a little bit that anybody can do this. This invitation to make disciples, it isn't a, a specialized field. There isn't like a disciple maker in the church. The pastor doesn't do all the disciple making. Actually, everybody is called to do this. This is wild. And usually at that part, when, when, when someone says this, when I, when I start telling you all the things you can do and all the things, ways you can change other people's lives, when I think about, when you start thinking about, I, I have to do this vision, there's like two groups of people. And we, start to, and we start to swing to opposite directions. There's some of us that are like, okay, there's a mission, I am in, right? Napoleon Bonaparte. I am going to conquer it. I'm going to go and get as many people as I possibly can, and whatever it takes, I'm going to accomplish this mission. And on the other side of the spectrum is, there's no possible way that God could have used me. There's no way. I'm too shy. I'm too quiet. I don't have the skill. But what I love about how this begins, and, and Peter, by the way, Peter's a little bit over here, okay? Peter's over here. James and John are over here. Andrew's a little bit over here. The place that this begins is with worship. And it kind of solves both people's problems, doesn't it? When it begins with worship, if you don't feel competent, if you don't feel like you can do it, there's a, there's a beautiful self-freeing self nature of saying, it's not about me. 
God is God, I am not. And he can do whatever he wants with my life. The Bible is full of incompetent, unskilled, unqualified people doing incredible things. We're going to talk about, in a, in a couple months, th- this guy Moses. Moses should not have a, you know, like his, his resume, his Myers-Briggs sh- should not have been leader of 500,000 people. He was totally unqualified for that job. Paul, Peter, all these people, they are not always qualified, but it doesn't matter because it begins with worship. Seeing God for who he is and saying, you are God and I am not. He, he, it says he fell down and he says, I, for I am a sinful man. This, this, this uh, expression is actually the closest we get to the, this old idea of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord isn't just terror. The fear of the Lord is a proper understanding of your place before God. But at the same time, knowing that then that God is still you. Right? I, who am I? I'm a sinful man, but yet God is still saying about me. And then for those of us who are Napoleon Bonaparte's in the world, it ain't about me. It begins with God, and it's about God. This picture of, of, of making disciples of all nations, of fishing for men, it's about Jesus and Jesus being worshipped. There's this beautiful, beautiful picture. John, who we're about to read about, later on has in Revelation 7 and 9 and 10. It's, it's this picture of, of everyone worshiping Jesus. There's this really, really big worship service at the end of, end of time. And what Jesus, or what John sees is people from every tribe, language, nation, and tongue. A multitude that no one could number. And you gotta wonder if John was thinking about it beginning with four. He's seeing this multitude and he's thinking, this started with just me, my brother, Peter and Andrew. It's incredible. It's about worship, and God can do that. The invitation begins and ends with worship. Let's keep going. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with, with uh, Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. So this is where this, these are the partners, James and John. They got invited into this too. And I love the Jesus encouragement. This is such a fascinating encouragement. So you're seeing this, and you're terrified of a, of a person who just, like, caught all this, all this fish that's too much. And then he gives you a job and says, do not be afraid. Isn't that interesting? Jesus regularly values people by giving them a responsibility. He actually regularly c- combats fear by saying, you can do this. I've, I've had a few bosses that were like this, and, and I, I think I've, I've shared this, uh, this story with you before. One of the most valuing things that ever happened to me, um, this is actually how I got started in ministry, uh, and this picture of disciple making. So I went to this really, really big church, uh, really, really big, and I was just little old me going to this church, and um, there's there a pastor, I, I, I entered the college, uh, I entered college, and college ministry, and the pastor there I thought was a really cool dude. He's very smart. Um, but I kind of thought that there was like a distance between me and him. That, and, and this is just what I learned is like the pastor, like he's not, his job isn't like Monday through, through Saturday. His job is on Sunday. And so uh, for my whole freshman year, like I'd go to Bible study and he'd, he'd be really smart and be like, oh, this is a really great dude. But I never really connected with him. All the while my freshman year, I was dealing with depression and anxiety and shame and guilt. And it was, and it was just this vicious cycle. And I was not, I was not the person that I wanted to be. <laughs> it was pretty terrible. And it, and it escalated to the point that it started to actually, it affected my relationship with my girlfriend, my 
wife, Jana, and, and other people. So one day I had enough, and I went to my pastor's office, and I, and I confessed sin to him for 45 minutes straight. 45 minutes straight. Imagine doing sin. Just take a break, my man. But I just did it, and I was, and I was like, and I just kept going, and I just kept, like, confessing more sin. <laughs> I'm sure, <laughs> he's like, okay, dude, I get it. And, and I was doing the crying that comes out of the nose, right, like the, the real disgusting one. And uh, so, yeah, you know, I, I confessed, and I don't even know, I don't even know how I ended that time. So it was just like, oh, it's, you know, I'm so gross, and I'm, now I'm done. But I remember I had done, I'd finished talking because I was, <laughs> I'm laughing. It's a beautiful moment. But I'm, like, in the corner of my chair, like, shaking. I'm, like, so shook by, by what I, I had just gone through with him, right, with a person. And honestly, I expected this pastor to heavily rebuke me, to put me in some sort of holy uh, training system. Um, the first words out of that pastor's mouth, he's looking at me, booger crying and all, and he says to me, do you want to be my intern? Like, you have got to be the dumbest man on this planet. There's no way that you want me leading anybody. There's no way you, like, if anyone found out any of the things I had just said, if any, anyone found out any things that I just said, they wouldn't just criticize me. You're on, you're on the chopping block too, my man. You put me in charge. That invitation changed my life. Because what I needed to, to most know and hear in that moment is that I have value beyond just myself. I have value to bring to this world. And that broadened my vision. I needed, friends, more often than not, and, and uh, again, I'm not talking about actual medical, uh, like medically diagnosed situations, but most of the time what we need most is to stop thinking about ourselves. The invitation isn't just for you. And it's better for you that it's not just for you. It broadens your vision, it lifts your eyes up, and, and it makes you realize, okay, someone thinks that I have value to bring to this world. And that someone isn't just this pastor. It's God himself. Let's remind ourselves of the one who is inviting us. He put a price on you that is immeasurable. It is the greatest price that anyone could ever pay for anything ever. His own blood. Nothing is worth more. Nothing will ever be worth more than the blood of Jesus. And he said, you were worth it. You were worth it. And we see that Simon, Peter, Andrew, and John actually believe this later. <laughs> Simon, Andrew, I keep saying Simon, Peter, it's Peter, Peter. Simon, Andrew, John, and James believe that after the res resurrection. But this is an encouraging thing. Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching, him, catching men. You have a purpose and a vision for your life that is bigger than you. The invitation isn't just for you. What I love about this picture, too, and we're going to talk about this, we're, we're going to go through a few more passages over the next few weeks of situations where Jesus called people into discipleship that we would say do not belong on that team. People we would say, and, and Jesus picks no one, he picks no politician, he picks no king, he picks no rabbi, he picks no priest, he picks no high priest, he picks regular people, and with those 11 regular dudes, he changed the world. At the end of Jesus' ministry, I've talked about this last week, at the end of Jesus' ministry, he had 11 people. Three years. Right? 
I've looked up more than 11. I think I'm doing okay. 11 men, and he changed the world. Broadening your vision is so good for you to start to believe, and, I, and, and, and we're going to talk about the how in a little bit, but I want you to start to pray and think, could God actually use my life to change the world? I spent a lot of time with, uh, with college students over the last 11 years. Uh, it was my job. And uh, many of them always say they want to change the world. And, and that's great. I love that idea. I love the idea of changing people's lives. But what if you weren't just changing the world a little bit or for one lifetime or for a few lifetimes, but what if you were a part of the greatest story that's ever been told? What if you could participate in the work of Jesus himself of bringing every tribe, language, nation, and tongue before the throne? I want you to think about that picture. What if you were there? What if you were there looking at Jesus, worshiping Jesus, and you could see a few rows down some people that are there because God used your life? What if there's nations there that, that you know were affected because God used your life? What if God could use your life? I didn't believe it for a long time. I know it sounds, it's crazy because I was told I was Napoleon. I, I got that way later. But for those four years in college, I constantly said, God, there's no way you're going to change my life. There's no way. There's no way you're going to use me. There are still many, many men and families who are walking with Jesus today because of what God did in my life in college. Here's the other thing that I, I love sharing about this, and we'll, we'll get into this a little bit later. I have given a lot of sermons. Okay, pastor, I've humbled you. I've given a lot of sermons. By far and away, and it's not about efficiency, but by far and away, the most efficient way that I've, that I've changed the world is spending weekly time, daily time sometimes, with just a few individuals, helping them understand what, what God wants for their life today, cracking the Bible when, it, when it's time, having meals with them. I've got 10 engineers, by the way, like, like introvert engineers who have gone out and they're changing their workplaces all over the world. Better than any sermon I could ever give. You can do this. The invitation isn't just for you and God can use you to change the world. Verse 11, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. When you hear something like this, that God can use your life when God can use your life significantly to change the world, his vision is worth your life. If you really think about it, of course they left everything. And usually, you know, sometimes comedians have made jokes over the last few years of like, well, they're just fishermen. Well, actually, they, they made some good money. James and John, they were, they were wealthy little boys who, who made a lot of money from this fishing job. They left everything. And friends, I'm not asking you, I want to be very clear, I'm not asking you to quit your job <laughs> and let's just travel around like Long Island City, like a little band of disciples. I, I'm just asking you would, you, would you broaden your vision for me? For the impact of your life? For the impact of your life on, on the floor you live on? In your neighborhood? At your workplace? With your friends and your family? Would you not discredit the, the power of God to use you? And remember that what we're doing here is that <coughs> we're actually just following Jesus anyway. 
I get this beautiful picture, um, and, and someone once shared it with me, of every time I sat down to read the Bible with someone, I was not sitting alone. Every time I was, and, and it doesn't always have to be an official Bible reading time. Every time I was entering a conversation where I needed the Holy Spirit, he was there. We are following Jesus into this. He's not sending us out alone. He is with us in this vision. And I see myself in this picture. The question is, how can I adjust my vision today? How can I adjust my vision today? We talk about how. Some people really want to know the how. But for today, what is the vision for my life? Can I adjust it today in worship? Do I need to have a more worshipful view? Do I need to see God more clearly? Do I want to see more God clearly? God more clearly? Or how can I adjust my vision and seeing those around me? Man, friends, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, when you start to, to pray these things, when you ask God to broaden your vision, uh, it's just like when you, when you pray for patience, buckle up. Every time my wife have had gone, gone through seasons where we're like, God, I pray that you'd use my life. It's like God is real, and he's worked in other people's lives before us. We've got, like, we've done that, and then we've had non-believing family members start asking us questions almost like Dave asked. Like, okay, this is dangerous to pray this. <laughs> but there is a world waiting to be invited by Jesus into a relationship with him. How can I adjust my vision today? I'm going to give you a minute to, to process this in silence. I'm going to invite the band up, um, and then I'll close us in worship. you know us you know how you created us you know what failures and flaws we have and you decide decided to give your life for us out of joy and then you invite us into something so grand not only do we have value to you but you have value that we can give beauty and, and glory that we can give the world of, of your love for other people. The compassion that you have for other people. God, would you teach us now to, yeah, revel in your compassion towards us, to enjoy it, to be grateful for the grace that you show us. And out of joy, God, would you help us to, to start to see how, how are you changing those around us? Thank you, Jesus, for the way that you have changed my life and changed the lives of those in this room.